Hello, friends. Um, my name's Ivan. I'm a person in recovery. Um, yeah, so tonight I will share with you a few stories about my past, uh, my present, and uh, yeah. Um, so I figured I'd start off... Um, I guess letting you guys know the reason why I'm here. Um, specifically, like, doing the speaker share right now. Um, so my sister was supposed to be here. My sister was supposed to be here, and she was supposed to be uh, the speaker sharing tonight. But um, earlier today, my sister, uh, who was fresh out of rehab, so she had about 40-ish days, um, decided to relapse and we meaning my ex and myself had entrusted her to take care of our infant son um she decided to black out uh while she was taking care of him and um yeah so um that was a few hours ago um i figured it would be kind of in the best interest of um, everyone involved that I just kind of take her place and share my story, my path to recovery and how that intertwines with my sister. Um, and yeah, just kind of shed light on what that's like. So, um, you know, within my family, drinking has not necessarily been part of the culture it's always been the culture um as far back as i can remember you know some of my earliest memories were uh you know watching various aunts and uncles be belligerent and drunk um in particular one of my uncles was kind of the the caricature of the rock bottom alcoholic uh, and drug addict you know, there was uh, many memories of growing up and seeing, you know, my dad get into fistfights with this man because he was on a tirade and either assaulting my mother or his sisters, my aunts. Um, you know, there was times when I would come home and there was just blood everywhere, all over the walls um, because he had gone through an episode of drinking and decided to kill himself. And so there was just blood as far as the eye can see. Um, and, you know, these are some of the earlier memories. As I got older, you know, it became more of, you know, you kind of understood that that was what you would strive to not be. And so long as you were not that version of an alcoholic or a drug, drug addict, it was, it was okay. Your drinking was in check. And so I kind of lived my life that way for a long, long time. Mm. Um, you know, I started drinking at a relatively young age. Um, I must have been like 10 or 11 when I would just kind of sneak drinks here and there. My parents always had liquor in the house. So it was always just kind of like making concoctions of disgusting things and drinking random liqueurs and stuff. Um and it wasn't necessarily for any reason other than I wanted to assimilate to the culture. 
Um, but then I realized, you know, if I drink enough of this gross shit, you know, there is a after effect that is something that I can look forward to. And so I started to drink more consistently, drink with friends. And it wasn't ever something that I was reprimanded for because, like I said, it was it was it was the culture, um, you know, it was the thing to do. It was funny. Um, even though we had somebody that was, you know, very clearly suffering from addiction within the within it was so close to us. Um, and so I grew up drinking with my cousins and my sister. Um, and then that shifted to using drugs because, you know, my cousin's uncle was a dealer. And so you would get cocaine for very, very cheap and on credit um, from a family member because it's it's easy to do. And there's not really any shame involved. There's not really a lot of work involved to get that. So that kind of became something that was consistently available to me. Um, and again, it wasn't necessarily anything that I was reprimanded for. It was just always like, oh, kids being kids, they're going to learn their own path to whatever it is they're, they're going to. So, but, you know, as I, as I grew older, um, as my use started to become more of a significant, uh, issue on not only my health, but my relationships and, my ability to maintain relationships, um, you know, I started to question, you know, whether or not this was a normal pattern of behavior. And unfortunately, I surrounded myself with people that were very much in the same situation as myself. So I didn't have any frame of reference. And it really wasn't until I got my DUI and started having to come to, you know, rooms much like this uh, because it was court appointed um that i realized that there are a lot of similarities in my story to a lot of the other people that are in these rooms but i again held out hope because it was ingrained in me as long as you're not like your uncle then you're fine like things are fine you can do it it's it's totally fine um and so that was just kind of the mindset that I had. I didn't really take away anything from going to traditional AA meetings other than it was a bunch of, um, you know, book thumping, angry people uh, who couldn't control their drinking. Um, and so that was kind of my, my first experience, my first taste of, of what meetings were like. And so I finished my program I did all that, never went back to any meetings. Um, I continued to drink, but I always told myself, like, as long as I have a ride or as long as I have a plan or as long as I have this, that or the other, um, you know, I was just always setting myself up for failure by saying, oh, I have these certain checklists of rules and that I'll follow. And I'm sure I'll follow them in the in the middle of a blackout. But that was never the case. Um <clears throat> And so I just kind of continued drinking like that uh, for a while. And um, it eventually got to the point where I was drinking every day. I was drinking, um, you know, during the day, during the evening, uh, missing work, ruining friendships, ruining parties, um, blacking out all the time. 
Um, and then I started driving uh, again and being drunk. And fortunately, I didn't crash. I didn't hurt anybody. But I got to the point where I went out one night, <clears throat> um, got pretty sauced, even though I said I wasn't. And then um, ran out of booze. So I decided to do cocaine and ran out of cocaine and it was too late to hit up my dealer so i decided to do a bunch of mushrooms with my friend and then you know lo and behold five in the morning rolls around and i have to be home because i'm married at this point um but i don't want to go home and deal with the repercussions of my actions so i'm like well if i just drive around for a while and kind of sober up which is baffling to think about now but if i do that and then I get home, you know, maybe it will seem like I was just kind of out late having a good time. But I was already fucking annihilated. So there was no hope in doing that. It was going to take a full day to recover from that. So I drove around for a, like probably about an hour and then got some food and then passed out in the front seat of my car um, in my driveway. So fortunately, I made it home. Um, but then, you know, my ex-wife had to pull me out of the car, um, give me the business. And it was at that moment that I realized, you know, all of the decisions, all the things that I had done in life had kind of caught up to me. And it was time to kind of sober out, mellow out, and just check into some sort of program and do the work and, and actually listen to the things that people in these rooms have to, have to say. Sorry, my voice is kind of going. I have fucking COVID. So any of you non-masked fucks are, you're fucked. So, um, I say all that, um, to kind of say a little bit more about my sister. Um, my sister was my drinking buddy. My sister was my go-to getting fucked up friend. <laughs> she always has been. She, um, you know, was... One of the persons that I remember getting drunk for the first time with, using various drugs for the first time with. Um, and when my parents lost their house, um, she was the only person that I had. My parents fucking were nightmarish to her. Um, they forced her to get a job because my dad couldn't hold a job anymore because he had a felony for some white collar bullshit crime. My mom didn't really have an ed education, so she would have to get pretty entry level work, which wouldn't help cover the bills. But my sister had been working for a little while, so she was making, you know, a little bit more money and she was working at Best Buy. But that was enough to kind of uh, keep food on the table at the very least because we we didn't have a place to go. We didn't have a, a house to live in necessarily. We were kind of bouncing around from place to place, um, you know, crashing in people's spare bedrooms um, until we kind of ended up at my uh, aunt's apartment. We stayed there for a while. Um, and in the time while we were there, you know, it was pretty consistent, like boozing, on off again with her using and eventually I got to the point where my mom had found out that my dad had been cheating on her through all this and she decided to kick him out it was a big show and he decided to stay but soon after that 
my mom decided to try to kill herself. Fuck, I'm sorry. Ah, <clears throat> taking the screening in the car. Um, my mom decided to try to kill herself, and I was the only person that was there. So I remember having to be there because she tried to take pills. Um, uh, and I realized that she was fucked up because she'd taken way too many Vicodin. And so I remember being there and, and not really knowing what to do because I was 16 at the time. And so I decided, I was like, well, fuck, like, if you took a bunch of pills, maybe they haven't hit your stomach yet. So I'm sitting there, I'm like forcing my fingers down my mom's throat, trying to get her to throw up. She's by the toilet. She eventually kind of yaks up a good chunk of whatever she took. I called my dad, I don't know where the fuck he was. I'm sure my sister was at work. And, you know, that was that, you know, put my mom to bed, keep an eye on her. Um, and that whole thing happens. And then my sister, a week later, same situation i'm the only person home and then she's the one taking the pills and so i have to do the exact same thing with her um and so it was just a lot of trauma kind of being shot at the both of us not only me but my sister um but my sister kind of just she went down her own path of self-destruction it was very different it was very it was more so influenced by the things that my parents did and said to her all throughout our childhood that really fueled a lot of the the demons that I don't think that that she's been able to ever really get over and it's 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 a haunting thing because you know I have a I have I wouldn't say I wouldn't call it a considerable amount of sobriety I have 974 days as of today but the one question that my family consistently asks me, and this is because my sister has consistently relapsed the entire time. So she's been, she got sober about six months before I did. Um, or at least she went into her recovery program six months before I did. And um, that was actually kind of a, a, an inspiration to a certain degree for me wanting to go and get help myself. Um, because I saw so many similarities. I mean, we, we share a very similar story. Um, but she was never able to make it past a year. She would get to a year, she'd fuck up, she'd, you know, relapse, do her thing, and then go back to a program, fuck up. And it just was cyclical. It was almost like fucking clockwork. And, um, you know, I usually could tell a lot sooner than the rest of my family when she was on a relapse. Um, because, duh. Um, but, you know, I always kind of held out hope um, that, you know, someday it would just kind of click for her. But the sorry, I fucking sidetracked super hard. The one question that everybody fucking asks me inside of my family is that, uh, you know, why is it that you can stay sober and your sister can't? Um, and I, I honestly, I, um, I don't think there is an answer to that. I think that she's the only person that can answer for her actions i'm only really responsible for the things that i do and the things that i can control and you know i can i know she knows as much about sobriety as i do and if not more um but it just kind of goes to show like there isn't a formula, there isn't a recipe, there isn't like as much as we have the steps, as much as we have all this framework to 
help us develop the tools to stay sober. Nobody's going to stay sober if they don't want to be sober. And that's a very simple answer to the question, but there's so many layers to that answer that are really hard to explain to people that don't suffer from any sort of addiction, or at least don't admit that they suffer from any sort of addiction and haven't, you know, truly tried to get down to the root of the problem. But, um, yeah, you know, today was a really, a really fucking traumatic day. Uh, one of many, um, involving my sister. And I'm at this point where, you know, I truly, and I, 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 I wish that I didn't feel this way, but she's dead to me. You know, she can never apologize to the point where I would be able to forgive her. You know, my son has bruises all over him. I don't know what happened to him. I don't know exactly the full extent of what transpired or, or why my son was naked or why you know, my ex-wife had to come home to some stranger holding my naked son in the backyard and my sister blacked out um, the house in complete disarray. I don't know. I, I know that this is one of those moments where I'm kind of at a loss for words. I kind of knew that I kind of in the back of my mind knew that something like this might happen, but I really wish that it didn't. Um, you know, for all intents and purposes, my son could have died today. And it really puts into perspective the stranglehold that addiction can really have on a person. Um, and for me, you know, I've been fortunate enough not to have a relapse not and, and be able to really participate actively in my sobriety by, you know, being a part of this group, um, by talking to people like yourselves, um, by developing a support network of people that have my best interests at heart. And, um, you know, I, I, I wish the same for her. I just don't know if she'll end up in that place. And to be honest, I don't really care. Um, it's not for me to decide. And, you know, not having to worry about that, not necessarily needing to be kept up at night, whether or not that's going to happen, is equal parts liberating and depressing as fuck um because you know she's obviously my blood sister but we have a closeness or had a closeness um that is more than words can describe and to see that all come crashing down um is a lot it's really painful but you know, it's, um, I guess it's kind of part of the show, unfortunately. Um, but I have rambled enough. Um, so I will leave it at that. 
Uh, thank you so much for having me. And thanks for letting me let you guys know a little bit more about myself. And um, yeah, thank you.